Drink up, Mr. Thomas. I'm the kind of man likes to know who's buying their drinks, Lloyd. It's not a matter that concerns you, Mr. Torrance. At least not at this point. Anything you say, Lloyd. Anything you say. Welcome to Musicians Movie Club. I'm Dan. <laughs> I'm Tommy. Is that the official intro? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta give me notice. Um, so if you know if you know us, if you know us at all, if you know Tommy, you probably expected <laughs> this episode at some junction. It was bound to happen, but never in my wildest dreams did I think it would be so quick. But we got some we got a movie to talk about. Yeah, we do. Um some might say, meaning I might say, the greatest movie. Of all time. Oh, wow. I wouldn't actually say that. It's my favorite movie of all time. I knew it was your favorite movie. I didn't know. I. It's not the greatest. Like, and it's... we'll get into why. I have... I don't want to jump the gun. It is a very good movie. It is my favorite movie. Today we are talking about Stanley Kubrick's 1980 masterpiece, The Shining. The Shining. Because um, it's Halloween, and we love <clears throat> spooky stuff, and this movie is spooky. Yeah. Yeah. What's your um what's your uh, shining personal history? What's the bio? My bio is it starts off a little sad, but then it gets me loving this movie. <laughs> um when I was very young, my uncle passed away and he had a crazy movie collection that my mom kind of like picked some random DVDs from. Mm-hmm. And in that collection was The Shining, yeah. along with Clockwork Orange, a Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut, and maybe 2001. Basically, I didn't know my uncle was into Kubrick. I didn't know who Kubrick was. Uh, but The Shining was like the one that I just heard so much about being like one of the scariest movies of all time. And me being like, I think 14 or 15 at the time was just kind of like, oh, I can't be that scary. Yeah. It creeped me the fuck out. Yeah. Um, and it still does. Like I've seen this movie dozens of times and it still makes me just like, the, gives me the heebie-jeebies. And I just never like watched a movie that that effectively made me feel anything. Yeah. Up until that point in my life where I was just like, the vibes are so specific and unsettling and wild. Yeah. And I didn't know movies could do that. And then shortly after, I don't want to talk about this a ton. I watched that Room 237 documentary, Mm -hmm. which further I was like, wait, movies can mean things? And that was a game changer. So I think the combination of me just like watching a horror movie that was good for the first time and then like dipping my toe into film analysis even a little bit as a high schooler i was like okay this is something different uh i my story is not too dissimilar i guess because when i started really getting into watching movies tm becoming a uh becoming a a fan becoming a a viewer a watcher this is just like i think this is one of you sort of in my dad's collection my dad really likes jack nicholson i Mm -hmm. think and um and also just comes from his era you know yeah and so i think that it was always just one of the ones that was on the list i actually had like a kind of moment in my life when i was 17 where i kind of had a like a whole summer where i just just like i had this little running list of movies that i knew i had to watch and i always you know liked movies like star wars or whatever you know yeah and i was like but I was like, I have to watch all this stuff. And then the list just kept growing and growing yep. because I started remembering and started really digging in. And of course, it was just like all of Kubrick's movies yep. was is like entry 
entry level like we're getting into the good stuff you know yeah. and stands up to this to this day yeah i love thinking of kubrick as entry level because they're like it it blows my mind that this was like a summer blockbuster because this came out like i think this came out in the summer it was like a big like tentpole warner brothers like summer movie but that combined with just it being like one of those movies that movie people watch like it's not an accessible movie in my mind it's super long it's super weird it's kind of slow yeah um, it's, I mean, it's also perfect, but like May 23rd, 1980, that's what I thought. Cause yeah. I remember maybe it was room two, three, seven, or was reading something about how this was like, they're putting all their marble, betting all their marbles or whatever the idiom is that I'm forgetting. Betting all their marbles. Betting all their yeah. mar- <laughs> that's definitely not it. No, I think that might be it. Is that it? Yeah. Something about marbles. I don't know. They just put so much money behind this for Kubrick to make something so deeply fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that like sort of background alone gives me more of an appreciation for it. Cause something I've learned about myself is I just love popular media made by weirdos. And yeah. Kubrick is just like the quintessential weirdo. I think, I think it's, it's entry level in the sense that it is kind of awe inspiring. Just like all of his movies are, you can mm-hmm. tell even if you don't know what you're looking at, that the craft is of yeah. a next level, you know, yes. that's kind of what I mean, I guess. Yeah. But, but of course, like, if you want to, when you really want to get into the nitty gritty of, of this movie in particular, you can you can go pretty far. Yeah, uh, I mean, I was like reading people's like college dissertations on this film when I was like a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember being at my cousin's house on Thanksgiving, like on my phone, just like reading. I don't even remember what the essay was about. Something about the Native American genocide and The Shining, and I yeah. was like, "This is crazy." See when and then I watched Room Two Thirty Seven, the documentary. But let's be honest, it's a glorified <laughs> feature length video essay. Yeah, like yeah, it, yeah, it's. Yeah. Uh, I, used, I, <laughs> I, I I chose not to revisit it when for, I didn't either. But I because when I first saw it, I was so mad at it. I was <laughs> like, especially because it's basically it's just cut, it's just clips from The Shining cut together, set to narration not even like interviews like narration of people saying this um this is what it's about this poster in the game room (laughs) is of a guy skiing is a minotaur and of course the minotaur and it's just like uh yeah and like (laughs) but when i first saw it though i just never heard of movies like thinking about those things (laughs) so i was like this is awesome and the more i thought about it and like saw more movies (laughs) yeah i was just like okay yeah um my hot take is maybe it's not hot um i think that this movie is just rorschach quality it's i don't think that there was any one particular thing that he was trying to you know create some puzzle you know Mm -hmm. i think he he just wanted to make a puzzle in general you know yeah and i have some thoughts on what i think it ultimately means based on what i think kubrick usually does but i don't think it's like oh he was hiding these symbols (laughs) and icons in here because he's trying to tell us it's about yeah you know the moon landing or whatever you know so yeah and like i mean even just beyond what kubrick intended and like whether that matters like personally, I also just don't think I care that much. Like the yeah. experience of the movie itself is enough for me. Yeah. Um, I there's a philosophy club at my school when I was in college, and I remember someone every week someone just brought a question. My question was inspired by room two three seven because I was just like thinking about it, getting annoyed, yeah. and I was like, why do people like? Why does everything have to mean something to people? Why can't you just experience it as like this visceral aesthetic experience and have that be mm-hmm. beautiful and meaningful in and of itself? 
And I think I'm at a place with this movie specifically where that's what it is to me. Totally. Um, just like it looks so cool. Mm-hmm. The vibes are unique. <laughs> the performances are incredible. Um, the music is like everything's yeah. just so memorable and iconic. And like, I don't, I don't need anything beyond that really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You kind of get to the next level, I think of appreciating you know creative things when you when you learn that to stop caring that about if everything you know makes sense yeah like and i think that that was like kind of clear to me earlier on when you know i maybe have said this on a previous episode that donnie darko is like the movie that kind of you know that's that was the first one on that list that kind of spiraled me into into everything Mm -hmm. and it was just because i related to the sentiments and the feelings of the movie right and it didn't matter if there was some actual logical way that it all worked out yeah it doesn't matter and if you you feel it it doesn't matter exactly and then like you know people like a filmmaker like david lynch is another guy who on the same note of you know the shining being kind of like this big weird puzzle and Mm -hmm. it's like the puzzle doesn't have to add up it's just puzzling right and that's fun right you know if 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 the vibes and the feelings are there so i think that that's that's where we're coming into this movie yeah. with. So if you wanted like a deep analysis of the themes of The Shining, you're not going to get that. It's going to be me just geeking out about just like the weird. I have so many notes. Yeah. Um, um, let's do you want to talk? Let's talk about the cocktail real quick. Oh, yeah. I made a cocktail for this as we do. Yeah. Um, the cocktail is called the Dull Boy. Dan has provided the whiskey, which is Jack Daniels 100 proof. What's the official Jack name? Jack Daniels bottle, bonded. Jack, Jack Daniels bottle and bond. Okay. Which, yeah, in the movie, uh, Jack drinks Jack Daniels, Danny being his son's name, Jack Daniels. Weird coincidence. Oh, I didn't even consider You never that. thought of that? No. Oh, I thought, like, I, the first time I watched it, I was like, that's weird. I, well, yeah, I could. <laughs> Guys, I changed everything. I think this is about alcoholism, um, which what? it is. It is. Um, but, uh. Um, okay, there are some things on a, le- like, a of less deep level it's about. But that's just Stephen King. All yeah. Stephen King stories are about alcoholism. That's true. This is still. As much as Stephen King probably doesn't want to admit it, this is still a Stephen King adaptation in some ways. Yeah. Like, loosely, you know, the the Volkswagen gets, you know, sidelined by the truck or whatever. And Yeah. Yeah. That's a deep cut reference to this movie for whoever. We have a cocktail to talk about. So, Jack Daniels. <laughs> Jack Daniels bonded. Jack Daniels bonded um, in honor of Jack Nicholson drinking in the movie. Uh, we got Bruto Americano, which is like this very earthy sort of deep, bitter um i think amaro but it's made in it's made in california yeah so it's not italian it's americano it's americano yeah oh yeah yeah hence the name (laughs) yeah uh lemon juice and strawberry syrup it's got it's not quite a blood red color like it's lighter than that but i wanted it to at least be red so the strawberry sort of fills that yeah function it's a good um it's a good like fruit fruity forward kind of thing but then it also has a you know the the dry this weird sort of just like yeah dry earthiness on the back end yeah and if we want to get into like the movie and its connection to that again this was like a very popular horror film but it's like it's just something off about it <laughs> there's a lot off about it <laughs> um i was gonna say about jack daniels though what does he say i wrote i wrote the quote he says i got two 20s and a 10 how about a bottle of bourbon and a glass with some ice <laughs> um okay actually something crazy about that line so he says that and he pulls out his wallet and then he's like i'm temporarily light and then the guy's like your money's no good here anyway it's on the yeah. house or whatever when he comes back to the bar later in the movie when it's like full of all the people dancing and stuff he has money in his wallet again yeah did you catch that 
Yeah, I think yeah. yeah. The, and I love the weird inconsistencies like that. And I don't even know if you can call them inconsistencies because some of them are so glaring they had to like like somebody had to make it an inconsistency. But that's one thing people talk about with this movie, especially in some of the weirder theories, is like all these little things that just kind of change in the background or like people's stories being inconsistent over the course of the movie. Yeah. One of the questions I think about is like how much is intentional or like did they actually just like fuck up? I think I I think so I, I watched some like making of stuff and mm-hmm. a few um just like Easter egg compilation videos. Yeah. And something I remember someone saying was that Tom Cruise said that on the set of Eyes Wide Shut that Kubrick was still occasionally like editing this movie. Like he was like for fun. So there is a kind of element that he maybe wasn't finished. Yeah. And I think also like we're watching um, live as we record this. The I think it's just like the ex- this extended version because there's there's a shorter version. Of The Shining? Yeah. That I don't think has um, this scene with the doctor. Maybe? Oh, at the very end. Yeah. Uh, well, this doctor that visits Danny and is like, yeah, I don't know about. Oh, okay. Him. He, yeah, was he touched or whatever? I think some of the yeah the like uh, child abuse storyline was cut out. Oh, I think that's right. I've no could idea. be wrong. I never heard about there being any different version. The only thing I know is that um, the one of the first cuts of the movie they showed to like test audiences, I think, had a scene at the very end where it's like Wendy and Danny in a hospital room and Almond comes to visit them. I don't oh. know if you know about that scene. Okay. But there was a scene after Jack frozen in the maze where uh-huh. it kind of wraps things up for like uh, Wendy and Danny's story. I thought you were talking about that for a sec with Doctors, but I don't know what you're referring so to. So it looks like when it premiered, it was 146 minutes. Okay. And then there was an American cut, which I believe is what we were looking at, which is a 144. Okay. You know, two hours, 24 minutes. Yeah. And then there's a European cut that is an 119 whoa so i think that the this american version is the one that most people are still it might be part of that whole video nasties 80s british anti-gore or something Mm -hmm. movement um this is unfounded this is my guess yeah Uh, i have no idea i don't know about this we're just some guys Uh, (laughs) but yeah he was still editing it and i think that you know if that's true then I I mean he's also just an obsessive person Kubrick right um and like the fact that did you know that he was afraid of flying yes and that's why they sh- this movie which is set in America <laughs> was sh- they built the facade of the hotel in a studio in England so that he didn't have to go to America and then they set the second unit to go do like. That the opening scene with the car driving around in like mm-hmm. Utah, and then it's based on a thing, based on a hotel in Colorado that maybe yes. they got some series of. It's crazy, like that level of production design is is insane. Yes. Also, Kubrick scared of flying. How'd you get to London? You're from New York. He had to fly at least once. I always yeah. thought about that. <laughs> I'm like, I wait a second. I was like, you had to fly at some point. <laughs> he just mustered up all of his strength for one flight, and then he was like, I'm done. He's like, I'm done. He was, and then he shot like every other movie, like Full Metal Jacket, like all these American ass movies, like yeah. Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut, that are like <laughs> set in America, slash, or I guess you know, Full Metal Jacket is in Vietnam, but the yeah. second half at least. Yeah. But um, that's it's crazy. <laughs> 
I kind of love that. Maybe he took a boat. Maybe he took he the Demeter. Take a boat. The Demeter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a movie that came out this year. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's crazy. And I think a lot of those circumstances of him having to like create a hotel from scratch in mm-hmm. a studio, you know, on yeah. a soundstage is probably a one reason that everything is weird. Like yeah. a lot, like a, a lot of the theories they talk about in all the crazy, you know, um, fan theory stuff is like the architecture of the hotel doesn't make any sense and it's right and it's he apparently like got a lot of photos of american hotel rooms and picked certain ones that he thought looked interesting and mm-hmm. it was just like let's make this room and i think that all added up into like a weird yeah clunky because e- I mean, even just apart from like physical space like how the parts of the hotel don't really connect in any logical way which they don't have to yeah but like even design-wise, like, different parts of the hotel look so wildly different from each other based on what each, like, scene needs it to look like. Like, there's very little consistency within the hotel itself, which I think is interesting. Like, one hallway looks so different from another hallway looks different yeah. from... Like, it's just... It's a weird mishmash of designs. And when I was when I was looking at footage of it and like how exactly it's wrong, like, it's specifically the, the like, Danny rolling around on the little, you know, um, car that he has mm-hmm. that is kind of reveals the yeah. flaws. But the thing is you're like you're definitely not thinking about that when you're watching. No, the and movie. it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah it doesn't no. matter. But like maybe the effect is just subconscious. Yeah. And that's sort of like a kismet thing that worked in the favor of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've heard people talk about that specifically that this is a like this film operates on a subconscious level. I'm doing a little hand gesture for those of you at home because <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but I think there's truth to it in that, you know, things in the background move or hallways don't connect or like whatever it is like you're still picking up on it kind of yeah i don't know well you know actually that's like his greatest strength as a director to the point where i think it you know validates kind of the ideas that maybe he's planting things because for example um in our viewing of the film which i (laughs) said i was going to call out to it but as an example there's a conversation in the car when they're driving to the hotel as a family Mm -hmm. where it's um they're talking about the the donner party yeah, and it's like, and he Jack is like explaining the Donner Party. Yeah, to, getting a kick out of to it to Danny. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, well, there's a lot of references to historic violence mm-hmm. in this movie, and like, there is a lot of Native American imagery in the yeah. film. They mention that the hotel is built on a Native American burial ground, mm-hmm. which is a classic '80s horror movie. Yeah, <laughs> choice. Is that the case in the book? I don't remember. I haven't read the book in years. Um, I only read it once, and it was long. But this kind of leads me to okay. I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna tell you for me what mm-hmm. I think this movie is ultimately about. Go for it. So here's a quote from Kubrick: "There's something inherently wrong with the human personality. There's an evil side to it." One of the things that horror stories can do is to show us the archetypes of the unconscious. We can see the dark side with having, without having to confront it directly. And I wrote a lot about his movies when I was an undergrad, um, mm-hmm. Space Odyssey and Full Metal Jacket in particular. And the common themes in all of these movies is that it's just violence as like an innate human quality. Yeah, and Clockwork Orange too. It's all over. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's his whole bit. Glory. Yeah, yeah. So he, so like you know, Jack as a character, like he kind of hates his family. Yeah, from the get go, they make that pretty clear. Yeah, is funny and different from the book. And you know, in the in this movie, he's isolated from like 
like the social structure and and society and it kind of brings out his elemental universal desire to destroy and he breaks down loses his sobriety his fidelity kind Mm -hmm. of in because he's has sex with a witch or something yeah Yeah. you know classic classic um only a witch but it's like his domesticity is being challenged in, in opposition to his animal nature. I am reading off of notes that I wrote. Yeah. Um, yeah. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Hmm. You know, it's like he's um, an animal. He's a barbarian, you yeah. know, as all people are, according to Kubrick, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it, this is uh, the, the unraveling. This yeah. is the story of him, like, being put into a situation in which it all explodes. And there are references to the Donner Party, the Native American genocide. Mm-hmm. And I think the like, you know, uh, they talk about, there's a generational story happening here too, where they're like, you know, the Grady's, you know. Yeah, like this has happened before. It happened Jack, before. And from the get Jack's like, oh, it's not going to happen again. And of, like, of yeah. course it's going to happen again. Yeah, and then it, it like, and it expresses itself in like, you know, poten- possibly like him having, molested danny um which is like that one's pretty vague i mean there are hints to it but i think it's there we we can get into why i think it's there but you if you have more to say about your but that's that's pretty much it because i mean like space odyssey has the clear kind of through line or at least it's clear to me about like how violence and technology have interlinked Mm -hmm. and it's like the the monkey killing the other monkey with a bone you know like like the scene after he discovers tools like the first thing he does is we'll kill for food and then yeah and then the the bone turns into a spaceship and the spaceship is the representative of technology and and so technology is used for violence so evolution it's like a question mark you know in space odyssey of like yeah. do you can you evolve p- beyond your human nature to to kill and destroy so and then full metal jacket is like this f- freaky jungian yeah. uh the duality of that movie man got me to sit down and read young when i was yeah. in high school i was like i'm gonna fucking read i don't remember what book it was it's called like, the individual self or something Cooper got me to like read philosophy for the record. Like that's, I think that's important too, but continue. Sorry. Yeah. So I just feel like it's a recurring theme in his work. Um, and when I was watching it this time, I kind of decided, I decided like ultimately it all kind of adds to this, that for me. And it, and it goes back to generational qualities. Like it's, uh, one, maybe one of the great, the most puzzling elements for me is the picture at the end mm-hmm. and you know it says july 4th 1976 1920s uh, yeah it's in the 20s I can't, um, I can't remember what year but it's like you know july 4th like what does that mean in the context of all this and it's like american it's an american thing and it's like all of the all those rich people having a having a party or whatever so yeah. i don't know like for me it just kind of like the overwhelming impression with that you know if we're not picking apart little details to mean mm-hmm. such specific things i think it is mostly just about violence. Yeah. I like that. And I think that plays into, again, not that I want to get into like deep analysis, but like the way, the way I've taken this, especially the generational thing you're talking about, I've always gone with more of a history repeats itself sort of reading where it's like the very first scene is here's the history of the hotel and Jack, La-, like they're all like actively laughing off the story as they're telling it. And then yeah. it happens again. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, like great. Or Almond is just like giggling a little bit like, yeah, this is <laughs> what happened. 
Um, and Jack's <laughs> yeah, laughing. I wrote, like, <laughs> I wrote that down. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like such a weird scene because they're all just like making light of the fact that a dude murdered his family like not that long ago. <laughs> he's just, um, Jack's response is so like, oh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a fascinating story. Yeah. It's like, no, this happened. Yeah. Um, and if you keep, you know, not giving it its dude, what am I, what's the word I'm looking for? If you don't take that seriously, it's bound to happen again. And that's how I've kind of read this mm. over the years. But that's still secondary to me just thinking it's a fucking cool movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, Trying to see. I got so many notes and I did not organize them in any way that makes sense. I wrote down. Here's another quote from this movie. Um, I think it, uh, <laughs> it's like I think we might have just missed it in our watch, but it, um they i think it's after the game room thing uh-huh. and danny uh runs in and jack goes dan you get tired of bombing, bombing the, the universe. universe and that's a line <laughs> i never noticed before and i was it's like what the hell li- the other one like that that i always think is weird is when um the- wendy and danny are walking out to the maze and wendy says loser has to keep america clean what Isn't, that's that's a weird there, i didn't I, even have never heard that before yeah uh there are so many nonsense lines in this movie where i'm just like why did they like that one the wendy one i think about all the time yeah just like, you gotta keep, what america, does keep clean? america clean mean violence violence um <laughs> there's i uh <laughs> wacky dialogue and um well okay actually something with dialogue i want to bring up if it's yeah. cool okay so one thing I love about the structure of this movie is Kubrick's very much like, let's just get all the exposition out of the way in like three long scenes at the beginning so we can just do whatever afterwards. Yeah. But the reason nonsense dialogue made me think of it, a lot of the exposition at the beginning ends up not being true later. And I love how like he kind of pulls the rug out under you because we're about to get to the scene in our watch where um, uh, Dick basically explains The Shining to Danny, like what it is, how <laughs> yeah. it works. And yeah. then like by the end of the movie, I'd wager that like 60% of what he says about the shining ends up not being true. Cause he's like, it's just pictures in a book. It won't touch you. And like, by the end, like there are ghosts opening doors and making yeah. out with Jack and like blood coming out of elevators and shit. Well, maybe it was his strategy to defend against them is to imagine that they're pictures in a book. And, and that's, yeah. And that's a way to read it too. I don't think it's like Kubrick is like, well, I guess I don't think Dick's lying to Danny so much as Dick is either trying to protect Danny or like that is his experience of the shining. Yeah. But I also think Danny is stronger in the shining than Dick is. And maybe that has something to do with the fact that like all these supposed pictures in a book, like very much interact with the family. <laughs> yeah. But the whole point of Dick's talk to Danny is like, Oh, they can't hurt you. And then like by the end of the movie, we're just like, what? <laughs> well, also, I mean, this is now more like the King, versus kubrick lore i guess because i mean pictures in a book could be still true mm-hmm. but you know they there may not actually be a room full of skeletons and a uh you know witch lady in the shower mm-hmm. and it's just how they see things and they're reacting to it and that's what makes them insane <laughs> you know like there may not actually be all those things it's just what they're seeing and it influences their actions yes up until something lets jack out of the food storage like pantry that's true that's the scene where i think all bets are off in this movie because <laughs> people are like oh jack used his brain to-. like i don't think he's that smart like he doesn't even know he has the shining which he does because he'd have to to see them yeah because dick also the other thing dick really harps on in his speech is like it's a hereditary thing yeah. and i think both jack and wendy have it because they're seeing the same stuff danny is 
and or then, at least their own versions of those things. So, and then I watched Doctor Sleep also yeah. in prep, um, which I think is more uh, faithful to maybe adapting King's sequel book, Doctor Sleep. Uh, more or less. I mean, it ha- they 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 reference this movie specifically visually for yeah. sure a lot. Yeah, I mean, the ending of do you know the ending of the book how the book ends with like the hotel exploding yeah it's because that's the whole point of them or it's one of the main points of them being there right is that they're supposed to make sure that it doesn't blow up because yeah. of the yeah <laughs> yep. um so yeah and then it does blow up yeah spoilers for dr sleep oh uh, sorry well um, but in dr sleep the hotel's still kind of there like intact as it is in the movie though right i haven't yeah, seen I think sleep it, in a while I, th- it, I think at the end of dr sleep it blows up Right, but but the fact that it hasn't blown up already, because uh, the end of the book, The Shining, it blows up. So if it's a faithful adaptation of the book, Doctor Sleep, it would have already exploded. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. Yeah, it is probably a. Bl- I haven't read either of the books, but I just assume it's a blend of. of it, yeah, of it, it's a blend, but I wouldn't ca- for that reason. I wouldn't call it like a faithful adaptation of Doctor Sleep necessarily. Like it's the same structure, but there are some things they throw in to make it. Um make the movie canon in that world which i yeah. kind of annoyed me i love dr sleep <laughs> that's awesome it's uh, fine <laughs> uh <laughs> i feel like it um if you buy into that movie it is fucking awesome like I haven't, I haven't seen it since it was in theaters and i think i was mostly just mad they were trying so hard to keep the movie as part of like the backstory i was like just be dr sleep like it's fine yeah i mean i at least appreciated that they don't recast like they have yes or they do recast i mean oh, they, they yeah, didn't yeah. uh they didn't cgi jack nicholson they just got a guy who kind of looks like jack nicholson you know <laughs> that and was I feel a like, good call yeah and uh so that's yeah I, I that was that. nice anyway i like the movie it's it's silly um <laughs> i'll rewatch it it's been a while but um in dr sleep they kind of reference that the hotel is like genuinely very haunted yes so i so his picture's in a book line. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, I don't know. He's also, Scatman Crothers is also like fully popping in and hanging out in Dr. Sleep, even though he's dead. Yeah. So. I forgot about that. He like, I don't know. People are, The Shining is just a. It's as a, a silly thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a, it's whatever you need it to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I kind of like that about it because again, it makes yeah. it gives this movie like this unpredictability that makes it even scarier than if it was like, okay, it's fine because nothing's gonna hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like that this movie just yeah, unpredictable is a word I, I think fits this movie well, especially down to I mean talking about Dick's character again. Like in the book, he survives. Um, in the movie, he is axed to death so hard, and I can't imagine having read the book, being excited for the adaptation of this movie, and then being like, wait, did they just? Is Dick dead? Yeah. Because he, like, saves them. And in the movie, he's just, like, off pretty unceremoniously. Um, so that kind of sense of unpredictability, I think, is really cool. Because I think that works, too. I mean, it being a horror movie. But on the other hand, it is kind of predictable. Because, like, from scene one, you're like, oh, Jack's crazy. Yeah. Like, in the book, it's more of, like, a slow burn, like, Jack's descent into madness. From, like, scene one, you're like, there's something off about yeah, that this, guy's dude. Yeah, um, And, like... I think it's so cool to keep Jack that unsettling from the get-go because like even if you try to keep it a secret or like make it more subtle like it's a horror movie you know it's going to happen so you might as well play into that. Yeah. There's no reason to make it a secret that he's going to kill his family like what else is going to fucking happen? That's also just like good horror movie making, yeah. you know. It's just like 
the expectation is the scary part. Right. You know it's going to happen. It's just like how and when, but yeah. it's going to happen. But this movie is the best example of I. you literally do not, you cannot predict how it's going to happen. No. <laughs> um, it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. Um, yeah, I wrote a lot of stuff about that, about Jack's performance, Jack Nicholson. Yeah, um, unhinged. My I fi- fucking love Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Um, I wrote that he's kind of the perfect American dad actor, you know? Like, he plays hmm. such a good... Like, he comes... Maybe this is just because, um, you know, he comes from the generation of, you know, our parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, coming up in, like, the new Hollywood era of, like, you know, as a young person. And then, like, by this point, he's, you know, dad age. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got this quality where it's, like, he's not... He's not a handsome man necessarily. No. He but he's he looks like a real person, you know? Yeah, they all do in this movie, which is nice. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that plus his like I don't know, his like his just aura is very He's like cracking dad jokes. Like even when he's like in the process of trying to kill them, he's like, Here's Johnny. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's really good at it. Like Yeah. And like you know, in his other performances too. I mean, like, um, Cuckoo's Nest. It kind of like mm-hmm. as like I don't know. He's just like an untraditional or non non traditional like screen star, but like very American in that way. For some yeah, way. yeah. And I feel like in this movie, he's like so good at it because like his performance is so sinister. Yeah, and like, but like hilarious. Also, it's, there are some super funny moments in this movie. <laughs> I think like one of my favorite lines. Where to put it? Um, in the very beginning after Ullman tells him the story of like Grady and stuff, yeah. there's a part where he says, rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. And the way he says it, I was like cracking up so hard. Like obviously knowing how it ends, but I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like even like in the context of the movie, like Jack's like kind of in on it. And I thought that was awesome. I, my, my favorite line from watching it this time was when Grady, the butler spills a bunch of stuff on him and he goes, <laughs> that's okay. I got, plenty of jackets <laughs> it's just like the most blase because you're like of course you're watching a man who is about to kill his family and you're like oh i really thought he was gonna freak out yeah he's <laughs> just so calm it's amazing <laughs> like um while we're talking about performances unless you have more to say about jack nicholson i think he's just really funny i think he's movie. fun yeah no and i think kubrick has a good sense of humor and like plays into the fact that jack's just like a charismatic guy in like a really weird subversive creepy way yeah um but like honest to god i think shelly duvall's performance is like just as good and does not get enough credit yeah i I do not think shelly gets enough credit like especially in like the early scenes just how hard she's trying to stay positive just like (laughs) but you know she knows that like nothing's going right like you can see it in her eyes and it's so devastating Mm -hmm. um just like how expressive she is and how heartbreaking it is that like she just, I mean, by the end, like, her just, like, I just want to protect my son and can't. Yeah. Like, she plays that so well, and it's so hard to watch at times. Yeah. But I credit her with a lot of that. Um, Especially considering, like, it's well known that Kubrick was, like, really mean to her. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, that was actually, actually, no, that's not the question I have for you. I have a directory question for you, but it's it's kind of related to that, in that I think part of the psychological, just, like, 
him being a dick. Yeah. Like was the number of takes they had to do. Yeah. And people talk about, you know, the baseball bat scene specifically, like hundred whatever takes of just like her weeping with a baseball bat trying to hit Jack or whatever. Do you think there is any like do you think doing that many takes actually does anything? <sighs> I d I don't I just I don't work that way at all. Right, like, and I know I, you don't. That's why I was <laughs> so I'm like I I think that I do think that there can be something brought out of her, of a performance when it is repeated as someone who's like I I did I acted in a short film for um a friend uh who was in my directing cohort and it was a uh, I've never acted dramatically truly mm -hmm. yeah um and i was always curious to see what it, and this is a, like uh i had to do a scene where the film was was about like um i am like having an affair or no i'm i'm with a woman who is having an affair with mm -hmm. me cool. <laughs> and um Rock and roll. yeah <laughs> and um and she literally removes my heart oh so like there's like a physical heart prop like involved. temple of doom style or like you don't you don't see it but it's Damn. just kind of like you see the heart and it's like kept in a jar oh, that's cool um but um there's a scene where like she's like breaking it off with me over the phone and um and we had to like or no, I'm not on the phone. I, I'm on the phone at some point. Sorry, good, <laughs> I'm like good. I'm like re recollecting all this. <laughs> no, there's a scene where we were in the car together and like have to fight, and there mm -hmm. was nothing written for the fight, so we had to like oh. make something up. Uh, and that, and then also, yeah, the like after she takes my heart, I'm on the phone outside of her apartment, and I'm like, "You took my heart," you know, whatever. And we did a lot of takes, and I think it was beneficial for me because like, I got kind of exhausted and I kind of scraped a little deeper. Mm -hmm. Um but also it was it made me feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like I was like <laughs> I don't know man. I like I'm not I'm not any sort of I'm not any sort of performer in the sense of like I think really hard about what I'm doing other than delivering a line for camera. Yeah. And that's kind of like how I approach directing in a way, mm -hmm. which you know, and there are, you know, were probably people who've are trained actors and directors who are screaming at that sentiment. But like, uh, that's just how I do it. And I do think that you can get benefits, but like hundreds of takes, I think you would have got there way yeah, before like, that. I, and, and that's like my hunch too, is like at that point, like it's just torturing them. Yeah. It's like, why? Yeah. Like, it's just a movie. Kubrick just wants to get into the Guinness book. Maybe. I don't know. I yeah, think like, he, yeah, like the Guinness guy just like off on the sidelines, just like <laughs> keeping tally. Yeah, who I do like when there's like a tidbit that's like we did 126 takes of this, and there's some guy with just like one of those little clickers at the like, at the door of the venue that's like, click, yeah. Click. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that at all. But I do, yeah. and I think he probably is a person who, you know, was thinking pretty highly of himself yeah. by that point, which he had. You know, a little bit of a right to considering what he did, but also like, I don't know, man, you would have got there after 30 tops. Yeah. You know? Even, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. so that's unfortunate. And also, and also you hear those stories about him, like, like on Eyes Wide Shut, not even like an emotionally, you know, dramatic scene, like the baseball bat stuff. It's like in Eyes Wide Shut, it was like 
he walks into a room and yeah. they're like, we did like, 50 did takes of this. the right way? Yeah, like, I How many that. ways can Tom Cruise walk into a room? Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. No, I'm I'm not a perfectionist and I just, I don't, like, what are you going to change at that point? Like, yeah. Really? Rolling my eyes at Kubrick. Never thought I'd do it. You gotta. You gotta. Um, fun fact, we <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the entire movie, uh, it just it just popped up is why I thought of it. The jump scare when it's just Tuesday. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Where like there's this huge music bill and then it just goes bump. And yeah. it just says Tuesday on the screen. Favorite jump scare in a movie. I forgot that there were text slides in this movie and I don't think that they're necessary. They aren't except for the one cool thing they do is every um, like time it tells you what the time is. It gets closer and closer as it goes. So it's kind of like this sort of like building to the fact that things are getting more and more tense maybe. Uh. Because hmm. the first one is a month, then it's like Tuesday, then it's like Saturday, then it's like 4.30 p.m. Yeah. So it kind of does that. Yeah, it's kind of glossed over that it's not like this movie takes place right after they move in. There were yeah. a few months where everything was fine. Right, right. <laughs> Until the ghosts start acting up. Until the ghosts start acting up. Which um, brings me to a note I wanted to bring up that I'm trying to find right now. Um, okay, so this has to do with an inconsistency that I think is very intentional. So yeah. early in the movie, um, when Wendy's talking to the doctor, she says Jack hasn't had a drink in five months. Yeah. And like, you know, Wendy's just like trying to cover for him. Just like, you know, I I don't like at the time you don't think she's lying. You're like, okay, she actually thinks things are getting better or she really just wants to protect Jack. And then when he goes to the bar, he says on the wagon for three months or something. Yes. So what he says is, uh, yeah, they've been at the overlook for two months, but Jack says five months again. So he says they say five months both times. Yeah. But then Jack says something even crazier because um, Wendy at the beginning says he stopped drinking when he hurt Danny, which was five months ago. Yeah. Danny or Jack later in the movie says he hurt Danny three years ago. He says that was three goddamn years ago. Yeah. Well, time is manipulated in general in this movie, like as far as right. perception but, of time. But it's weird that Wendy would be like, he stopped drinking when he hurt Danny. That was five months ago. And then Jack would be like, I've been sober five months and hurt Danny three years ago. Yeah. Something's the, not adding up. The easy out could be that he was drinking secretly. Um, well, no, but the Danny getting hurt three I, years ago versus five months is the problem, not the drinking. Yeah, I guess. I think I think they just like stuck to a story and keep saying it. Yeah, or like it happened multiple times. Or and, it happened multiple times. Um, it see that is this that is the exact thing that I think inspires the like the the goofy speculation about this mm -hmm. movie because it's like like we were saying extremely detail oriented guy yeah who made this movie um a perfectionist yeah but could not get the script supervision you know <laughs> of like see i i think that one's on purpose i really do think they just like picked a story they're sticking to it even the numbers because he's fucked up so much yeah I, that's my read of it yeah and i think jack honestly genuinely believes it yeah his mind is warped yeah yeah I, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of time perception silliness going on. I mean, obviously with the like ghosts of the twenties, but also now like, you know, the way that he, you know, presents his uh, sobriety or whatever, mm -hmm. like it's all mixed up, in yeah, his, and which is another disorienting kind of, you know, just the, the architectural flaws, the logical flaws, like it's all, yeah, yeah, in service of the greater bad vibe <laughs> just i feel bad yeah <laughs> god i love this movie so much um 
another Shelly Duvall like little performance thing that I love um, when Jack is like, uh, why don't you get the fuck out of here or whatever? When he like tears up his paper and he's all mad at Wendy and stuff. Yeah. There's a moment that we're about to get to. And I know we said we weren't going <laughs> to talk about us watching the movie a yeah. bunch, but Wendy makes a face that like is the most like wounded puppy dog looking face I've ever seen in my life. And it breaks my heart every time. And it's why I think Shelley Duvall is a good actress. Yeah. Is there's a moment right coming up where it's just like, Jack's like, do you think you can handle that? And she just looks so fucking devastated. Like her whole face just like drains of color. I'm like, how does she do that? <sighs> I love Shelley Duvall a lot. That's what I'm trying to get at. Look how sad she yeah, is. She's so bummer. sad. I know. Jack's such a dick. And this isn't even that far into the movie. <laughs> like, that's the crazy... <laughs> like, not even that insane yet. No. Even, like, the scene where he's, like, looking out the window all creepy. Yeah. Like, that's, like... I don't even think we've gotten to that yet, but it's, like, a third of the way into the movie. Yep. This is the this keep is America the, this clean. Is him, no, this is um Jack looking out the window all creepy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is, like... Yeah, like a month and a couple of days into it. Like they haven't been to the hotel that long, but it's still been a And this bit. is on a sound stage. Yeah, we're at the point where it's Wendy and Danny outside throwing snowballs at each other and there's just like so much fog and snow. But then it cuts to Jack staring out the window like a lunatic. The classic image. The classic Kubrick stare. Ah, it's so good. Um He ate without YouTube. He ate without you. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that means. Is you know how like this is it's kind of a meme, I guess. You know how like I don't know. Maybe you don't do this. I definitely do this. It's like if you're eating like at home uh-huh. alone or even you know out and about, uh-huh. if you're eating. You like kind of have to have some other kind of simulation. Yeah. So it's like oh, you're watching YouTube. You're, you watch. You got to watch YouTube while he you ate eat. without YouTube. He ate without YouTube, and that's why he killed his family. <laughs> <laughs> it awakened his his barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> in a time where YouTube was not a thing, that's what that's what tipped him off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do we want to talk about steady cams? Sure. I kind of want to talk about steady cams because this movie was revolutionary in terms of just like this was this wasn't the first movie to use it, right? I don't think this was the first, but it was the first to like. <laughs> I, I it was I, I an innovation. It, it was, was an, an innovation, and the guy who invented it like worked on the movie. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah, because I believe that previously, I think they they kind of pioneered the steady cam that was not that was like just attached to a person instead yes. of um being on a dolly track yeah because i've watched the videos of the camera operators just like full-on sprinting behind danny while he's on his tricycle yeah and it's crazy just like the mechanism attached to them like to capture those scenes and make them look smooth and just so ominous like they're just floating above the ground it's super cool because it, it like it is a very traditional kubrick um camera style mm-hmm. to like have a lot of moving um camera work like uh specifically tracking and stuff like i mean paths of glory is kind of famous yeah. for like the tracking shots that go across all the, the battlefields yeah, but they also stuff. had the track the entire way just like, yeah yeah so this is like i think where he kind of got a lot more like play time with it you know right. where he got to be he got freed of the tracks and also so that you didn't have to like see the tracks when you're moving around like really long yeah. stretches of of hotel set right um and I wrote a note, um, this is very, like, film school visual design, but, like, the the way that the Steadicam kind of, like, works in the, you know, visual of this film is, like, the sets are designed and the cinematography, like, the way the sh- shots are composed is very, like, perfect looking. Mm-hmm. It's very, like, neat lines on the plane of vision 
Um, characters are usually framed very centrally, mm-hmm. uh, but the steady cam kind of gives you like this like woozy uneasiness and like you kind of like perfect environments, but they're like kind of like rocking the boat a little bit. Yeah. Kind of gives you there's more of that disorienting kind of like cerebral like unease. I like that. Yeah, um, we should get a hotel and make a movie. I have written, not written. I have an idea for a movie that takes place in an abandoned hotel, and <laughs> I need to write it. Is there any skeletons in it? No. Well, there could be. Let me punch it up for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I just all I did, I just skeletons every scenes. scene. <laughs> Where can I add a skeleton to the screenplay? No, I've had this fucking idea for a dystopian like horror movie. Since, like, my freshman year of college, I just haven't committed to it, but I have it mostly outlined. It takes place in a hotel. That's all I'm going to say. Let's work it out. It's pretty It's pretty good if I do say so myself, but it also doesn't <laughs> exist yet. In my head, it's really good. Um, all right, another scene I wanted to talk about, uh, when Jack is at the bar for the first time talking to Lloyd. Yeah. Um, That's probably, that might be, like, my favorite scene. It's such a good scene. Yeah. It is one of my favorite scenes. Um, I love how he gets drunk after one glass of <laughs> Jack. I yeah. think that's funny. Yeah. But just like his mannerisms in that scene specifically, like, are insane. Him referring to his wife as a sperm bank is insane. The whole thing <laughs> with the inconsistencies of time is insane. I really wanted to be in a band called uh, Lloyd, The Lloyds after this movie for a while. Oh, I've always good. wanted to be in a band called The Lloyds. And I found out there's an artist already named Lloyd out there, so I don't think I can do that. Lloyd in space. I don't know what that is. Uh, it, was a, <laughs> it was a TV show where oh. about an alien teenager. That's a good name. That's a good name. Uh, the Lloyds is good. It's like the Caesars, the Hives, yeah. the Lloyds. I'd know? love to be in a band called the Lloyds, and I just wanted to make reference to that because I think it's a good name, but I want to have it on the record that I thought of it. Yeah. So, so no one sue. takes it. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though there's an already an artist called Lloyd, so I can't. I mean, like it's different enough. What if it was like L O Y D Z? <laughs> oh, I hate that. <laughs> We're also about to get to one of my other favorite scenes in the movie where it's Danny and Jack in the in Jack and Wendy's bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it's a very simple scene, but I think it's maybe the creepiest in the entire movie where it's just uh it's just Danny sitting on Jack's lap he's and like he's like petting him. Yeah, he's like petting him and this doesn't help with like the sexual abuse sort of undertones. Yeah. But like literally Oh, I had, a, I had a thing about it. Where'd it go? Where'd my note go? Okay, from memory. I mean, we're about to get to it, but yeah. it's just like the creepiest fucking scene because it's just like both of them are like not looking at each other. They're both staring off into the distance past each other. Yeah. And Danny looks terrified. Like you look at his face in that scene and he's just like scared to be there and Jack's just talking to him. But the amount of tension there, you're like, what happened? Yeah. Okay, so here's that scene with uh Yeah, we made it to Jack the bedroom and scene and it's just like... Jack's staring at Danny and Danny's so scared. <laughs> and like to, you know, I don't, there aren't a lot of like child performances. I like that much. And I'm still on the fence as to whether Danny Lloyd is like quote unquote good in this movie. But this scene specifically, I think he's really effective. Just the way he's like hesitant, even in approaching like his dad. I think he's a, I think he's just got a good, good child performance. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he's supposed to be a little off too, yeah. which he would be if like dead people were, talking to you or whatever you want to... I mean, that's not what happens, but it's kind of what happens. But just... Danny's just, like, staring, like, dissociating. You can actively see him dissociating, and that's really <laughs> upsetting. Yeah. 
it's this is like maybe the most upsetting scene in the movie for me i just i just hate it it makes my skin crawl a lot yeah. of good fits in this movie jack torrance wears a lot of like cool sweaters and robes and stuff i have a note in here about the costume design and the word i used is unhinged but i was mostly talking about wendy's outfits yeah just like the bright wild colors and like corduroy overalls and western looking cardigans and stuff the, like yellow native american yeah. stylized yeah it's coat. amazing yeah well it's it's like cool that even like those sorts of details that like everything about this movie is just so iconic down to like the outfits like even stick in your head like i think about the apollo sweater all the time that danny wears yeah um that'd be a good halloween costume i've thought about it but like sweaters are expensive yeah but i'd love to do that i'd love to do a proper shining halloween costume it's weird it's like all the outfits are iconic in the context of the movie but also like if i wore them out of context i don't think anyone would immediately be like oh you're dressed as like wendy i think if you wore the apollo one yeah, the Apollo People one, would be probably. like, is that the shining? Yeah, but if I was wearing like a corduroy, like burgundy jacket. Oh, like, yeah, nobody would be like, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, are you Wendy from. <laughs> are you are you just Jack hanging out in his loungewear at this formal party? <laughs> a lot of my notes have to do with the end of the movie. If you want to jump ahead yeah. to beyond where we are. I've gone through most of my my stuff. Oh, I, I still have like a bunch left, but I can, I can just that? do the greatest hits. Jack Nicholson is one of my favorite impressions to do. I was about to say, I like that you jumped into an impression where you were doing his line from the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good impression. Wendy, light of my life, <laughs> darling. It's so good. It's he has such, he's such a good voice. Yeah. I'm just going to start reading random notes if that's cool. And like, we can turn any of them into conversations. But I have a couple points I want to hit, and okay. I won't forgive myself if I don't. The first one. When it cuts to Dick watching the news in his bedroom, when he's like about, then Danny's about to like shine him. Yeah. It's just like this slow zoom out to reveal these weird like pornographic yeah. paintings on his wall. I love that. Yeah. It's just like such a weird like because what's important in that scene is what they're saying on the news, but you're not paying attention because you're like, oh, naked ladies. Yeah, I thought that was such a weird choice. I always thought that was like a shocking jump to like the R rating getting really boosted by that. You know, I was like, this is so unnecessary. But I love the idea that like. Um, Scatman Crothers is like at home. He's just kind of a little freak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With his big Afro naked ladies, it's yeah. kind of awesome. But it's just such a like because what what he's saying on the news is like a little important. Yeah, I don't remember specifically what, but my note was like like the news is like talking about like the snowstorm and stuff, which like you'll find out. But yeah, that was fun. I want to talk about the music because mm-hmm. Wendy Carlos is amazing. We talked about her in the Tron episode as well. Yeah. But she also did the opening like weird voice music for this, um, which like just so the opening credits, despite the weird font and color choice, which I still don't understand why I love it's just it. like blue Helvetica. Yeah. I actually love that. I love it too, but like, it's not like a good choice. I don't think like it's endearing because it's in this movie. I think it looks it looks kind of digital for 1980. It does. So I think that's unsettling in, in a fun way. Yeah, but what does that have to do with the movie? Nothing. <laughs> um, but like the voices in the background, like I love that that's like the only like, I think that's an original piece of music for the movie, but none of the rest of it is. There's no other, like everything else is just, there's no traditional score, but it's music that Kubrick picked from like postmodern composers he was into they thought fit hmm. and it fits so well to the point where like the editing is almost like it feels choreographed at times yeah like especially scenes where it's like jack walking in a hallway and he'll be like moving his arms and it'll time with like 
like a vibraphone hit or something weird. Hmm. Like th- I like how, yeah, just choreographed parts of this feel to the music is so cool since the music wasn't made for the movie. But I think Kubrick just being such a fan of music knew how to like cut it. Yeah. How to cut it super yeah. well. Um, yeah, I love that. Did you notice the fourth wall break in this movie? Cause I think about it all the time and it's very quick, but there is a moment where after, um, Jack is like in their bedroom and he's like yelling at Wendy, like I'm not gonna let you fuck up my life anymore and leaves as he's turning the corner. He looks directly into the camera, then keeps walking. No, I don't. the first time I, I didn't notice it the first time I saw it, but I can't unsee it anytime I watch this movie, but he looks directly down the barrel of the lens. This is, this is later when he's, this up. is later. It's like, um, it's like after he goes in the room two, three, seven, then he comes back to their bedroom and he's like, I didn't see anything. And Wendy's like, we still need to take him to a doctor. And he's like, I'm not gonna let you fuck up my life. Like we're not taking Danny to a doctor. Yeah. And he storms off. As he's storming off, he looks directly at the camera. Okay. And it's awesome. We'll have to look out for that. I think it's so cool. <laughs> he was like, like, is that good enough take for you, Stan? <laughs> just a fuck you to Stanley. And Stan was like, you know what? I'll keep it in. Yeah. Like, I, I just think it's like a, I don't know. And it's like a cool time to do it. Cause it's kind of, I mean, there are a lot of points in this movie that feel like a point of no return, but that one especially feels like the moment where he's like, all right, I'm definitely going to kill them. Like <laughs> even before he's talked to Grady, cause he goes to the ballroom after that to talk to Grady. Yeah. Um, like I think in that moment he's like, okay, you know, it's about to happen. Looks at the camera and then like goes to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's neat. I want to talk about the scene between Jack and Grady in the bread bathroom. Yeah. I, cause that's just like a really important scene. And also like has weird racist undertones that also play into some of like the Americanisms of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and not even undertones, like directly racist things said by Jack and Grady. Mm-hmm. Um, but like one thing that like stood out to me, one thing that stood out to me the first time I saw it is just the set design of that bathroom is so jarringly different from the rest of the ballroom, which is like very elegant and gold and like, is walking to this bathroom. It's just so fucking red. Yeah. It's a very cool set piece. It's such a cool set. And I don't really understand the point of it. And it doesn't matter because it looks cool and that's fine. But like, like of all like the sets in the movie, for some weird reason, like I think of the red bathroom the most. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. Too. Yeah. And it's also just like a long scene. Like I have this uh, piece of art in my apartment. That's every frame of the shining, like front to back. And there's just this giant red stretch and looking yeah. at that and just being like, wow, that is a long scene yeah. of just them talking. But it's another scene that's just like, yeah, it's just talking, but it's super unsettling and like weird. And Jack's vocal inflections are super creepy. Yeah. that, And then there's also that, there's that iconic photo of Kubrick directing that scene where like Jack Nicholson is like posing, but he's out of focus and the picture wasn't of him. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, that this scene, is my favorite frames of the movie. <laughs> this is the reactions of Jack Nicholson. Oh, just like... Yeah, just looking like, oh. <laughs> yeah, this is the scene where Danny comes, just comes from room 237 after maybe having been strangled by a crazy lady in a bathtub. And it uh, cuts to Jack. <laughs> he just looks so out of it. It's like his son was just like assaulted and he's like, oh. <laughs> it's like a physical comedy bit. Like, what Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, he he just like isn't reacting. <laughs> I think I made that my banner on Twitter. <laughs> my banner on Twitter is also The Shining right now. 
Wow, um, it was a it was a it was a planted piece by us to let ooh. everyone know that we were doing the podcast because everyone's going to our Twitter profiles and to see what the latest to, cover. Yeah, photo the next is. yeah the next movie club episode. Ooh, um, one thing back to the Grady Jack scene where they're just like talking in the bathroom. One thing I love about that scene is Jack's vocal inflections when he's like starts getting a little interrogation-y with Grady where he's like, um, like what did you do with your daughter? Like, I know what you did. Like, were you always the caretaker? Like, he's, he's kind of like interrogating Grady a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I love that he takes this tone of like, I know what you did. Cause he's almost like getting a kick out of asking these questions. Cause he already knows. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was really interesting that like the whole tone of that scene is like, again, racist and awful. And like the things that like, he's trying to convince him to kill his son. Like that's bad. But there's kind of like this weird, funny thing of like, few things make me laugh more than somebody trying to be subtle and failing. Yeah. Because <laughs> Jack's like trying to be subtle and asking these questions. He's like, you a married man, Mr. Grady? And it's like, <laughs> he's just like not even close to coming off as like <laughs> anything but like, I know what you did. Mr. Grady, you were the caretaker here. I recognize you. I saw your picture in the newspapers. You, uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits and uh, and you blew your brains out i don't know i don't know if i explained it well but i like that scene a lot i I guess the last like specific scene i want to call out is the baseball bat scene with the hundreds of takes because i think that is my favorite scene in any movie ever is the baseball bat scene Mm -hmm. starting with like one of my favorite lines in cinema history is when uh it's a shot from behind wendy and she's like looking at the I'll work and no play makes Jack a doll boy. Yeah. And then it like zooms back to reveal Jack standing behind the wall, kind of hiding from her. And all he says is, how do you like it? And I think it's so <laughs> fucking funny. <laughs> um, but just like how it reveals him is like so creepy that it just like breaks the tension for a sec with this goofy line. Um, and then obviously ramps up the tension immediately afterwards. Cause like it's the whole thing of them Walk having their conversation stairs. and yeah, the stairs. But yeah, I just, it's just two of my favorite actors ever just like going at it and doing such a fucking good job. And it also has what I'm going to call one of my favorite audience surrogate lines of all time. Cause Jack's doing his whole thing where he's like, do you ever think about my responsibilities? I signed a contract like that whole bit. Yeah. Um, and then there's a point where Wendy just stops and goes, I'm very confused. <laughs> and it's just like the perfect, like, yeah, same like kind of line in a movie where I think Kubrick like understands that we're just like, what the fuck is I'm going very on? Confused. When he just, just stops and says, I'm very confused. And I'm like, yep, same. Um, maybe another fourth wall break, but also she is very confused. And I'm just like, yeah, because the monologue Jack is giving about responsibilities makes zero sense. Yeah. Um, like it's not that big a deal. All right, so now we're watching um, the the first time that Jack sits at the bar with Lloyd, and I was looking. I love bartending scenes in movies for one. <laughs> yep. Um, I'm so I have a feeling that Jack Daniels' old number seven was not a, available in the twenties. Yeah. That, to the like to the degree that. Or at least not with that branding. I mean, Jack so- Daniels comes from like the 1880s or something. But. Yeah, there are a lot of weird anachronisms in this movie for sure of just things out of time in different places, which I think plays into things thematically, but yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that maybe what's intended here is like that's probably the thing that he 
that's the drink that he abuses specifically. Right. Um, but he, w- he would. It would yeah. be Jack Daniels. Old Jasper Daniels. Um, his real name. Oh, really? Uh huh. Hey, editor's note here. I did some research, and old number seven has been available since the 1880s, and it has been labeled with the classic black and white label or a version of it since probably around the turn of the century. The kicker here is that in 1921, when the 4th of July ball is taking place, it was, of course, Prohibition, and Jack Daniels had actually not been producing any whiskey. Prohibition had gone into effect in Tennessee from a statewide prohibition law in 1910. They moved their production to St. Louis and Birmingham for a while, but none of that whiskey was ever sold due to quality problems. Jack Daniels didn't start producing whiskey again until 1938. Anyway, that's just a little Jack Daniels trivia that I decided to share with you. Back to the podcast. And I was looking at the back bar. We got some Tangeray. Um, we got, I was doing the same. <laughs> I, was, I saw some Cointreau. Um, I didn't really recognize anything else. There was a bottle that said Martini that I assume is a removed. Bottled Martini. Bottled Martini. Gross. That's pretty gross. Um, he says, I'd give anything for a good glass of beer. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me of, like, not too long ago, I had a guy walk up to the bar and say, um, I'll just have, like, uh, just a good, what's it, yeah, I got, like, a good bottle of beer. <laughs> and I'm like, what kind, dude? <laughs> and I ended up just giving him a Lone Star. But I was like, that's pretty much a good bottle of beer. You good know, bottle of beer. On the Wikipedia page, it's the image that they use, right? That, uh, I had that same thought. I just saw Eyes Wide Shut at Alamo. They're doing a Kubrick series right now. Yeah. And I went and saw Eyes Wide Shut, and there's a scene where Tom Cruise goes to that jazz club to see his friend Nick Nightingale play. And he's like, I'll take a beer. I hate that. I hate it so yeah. much. Uh, and he, he, like, that's all he says. And the guy's just like, okay. And he's like, walks away. And I'm like, <laughs> unhinged. I always say, what kind? Yeah. <laughs> like, like literally. I don't want to decide for you. Yeah. Yeah. But the, this scene at the bar with Lloyd, the first one is like a crazy release, like of the yeah. tension. That's why I really like it. Cause it's, it looks like he really blows up in this scene. It's awesome. Yeah. But it's like, not even like he, does anything violent or it's just like it's all psychological just like one of the first well not the first instance like there are a lot of instances already where we're like oh this guy's fucked up yeah but he says like i love the little son of a bitch i'll never <laughs> touch the hair on his fucking head or whatever yeah little yeah. fucker throw my papers all over the floor which is from the book i remember that scene in the book hmm. so some of the backstory is that oh one thing i wanted to bring up i didn't write down you know the weird bear costume guy yeah that's like sucking off the other dude in the bedroom when mm-hmm. he sees um Apparently, uh, not apparently, I read the book. In the book, they have like a whole backstory. Oh. And I love that Kubrick was just like, that's a weird image, and just pulled it with no context yeah. and like used it. And Stephen King's watching like, oh my God, <laughs> those were the most important characters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think the movie's so much better than the book. Yeah. Like obviously two different media, so like it's going to be completely different and like, you know, apples and oranges or whatever, but like... This, I just think the movie's so much scarier. Well, the book just explains everything, and I'm like, I don't need to know. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, so long. So Kubrick always said that he only picked books that he thought were imperfect to adapt. Mm-hmm. Most of his movies are adapted from books. Yes, um, that surprises me with Clockwork Orange. Him, no, that okay, whatever. I'm gonna take that back. Go ahead. Well, and I think that 
you know, he said that. Yeah. Um, which is probably probably a pretty egotistical thing to say, but yeah. um, but I I guarantee you that's like exactly why Stephen King hates it. Is like, you know, it's like, ah, oh, you fucker. <laughs> thought yeah, you could do what I could do better. Wrong. Yeah, he's not wrong. But, <laughs> um, but like you know, yeah, like you said, it's a different medium entirely. And and that's the thing too, like translating anything from one medium to another, like in the context of like it being a movie, it's going to be imperfect. So it wasn't meant to be. So you're going to have to change things. But I appreciate that Kubrick was willing to like go the extra mile to just do his own thing. Yeah. Because um, it's so different. Oh, we got to the naked lady with the <laughs> afro above uh, Dick's TV. <laughs> it's just, it's so unnecessary, but I love it so much. But not just one. It cuts to him more. watching the TV and zooms out even slower. We got a second naked lady. Wow. Come on, Scatman. Go, go, go for it. Get your... Get your, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Get your bag. Softcore porn, I don't know. <laughs> um, another line delivery I wanted to bring up. Uh, toward the end when uh, Wendy's like going to check out the snow cat and Jack's like, why don't you go check it out? <laughs> I say that, I quote that all the time. Like, why don't you go check it out? And be like, what are you... What are you doing? I love that line. <laughs> what are you up to, big guy? <laughs> Go check it out! <laughs> Go check it out! <laughs> Go check it out! Uh, yeah, this movie's funny. It's a funny movie. It's a, I don't even it's care. It's a comedy, actually. Sorry, we shouldn't have released this in October. <laughs> what's what's comedy month? What's the peak month for comedy? Uh, we should do American Psycho for comedy month. That's a comedy. What is comedy month? It's like April, April, April. Fools. Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll do We'll do another Shining episode in April, but from the, from the perspective, perspective of, of it being, being a comedy. comedy yeah. Um, just talking about Stanley Kubrick's comedic genius, which he is. He made yeah. Dr. Strangelove. He's a funny guy. Dr. Strangelove, check it out. <laughs> it's so good. All of his movies are... I watched 2001 yesterday with a friend who had never seen it. And like, yeah. we, we got really high. And I was nervous because like, not to talk about 2001 instead of... The Shining, but I feel like we talk about 2001 in every episode. Yeah, we got to hit it one time. Got to hit it one time. Um, in this case, two times. <laughs> two times. They had never seen it, and I, my, I told my dad I was watching it with them, and he was like, "Why are you like really? You're gonna watch a two and a half hour long slow burn sci-fi with like as like a fun thing?" And I was like, "Yeah, of yeah. course." Um, and they ate it up. Like nice. Every little camera trick and like practical effect, they were like, "This is the coolest thing I've ever seen." Yeah. It was so fun. I remember last year, uh, a similar thing. I did a big showing of The Shining for like a bunch of friends. Uh, made like a cocktail for it. That was just rum and grenadine, but it looked like blood, so that was fun. Were you, you weren't there for that, were you? No, I, I am, I in, think I am in the group chat. Yeah, you're in the group chat, but I was about to say, I, I didn't think you were there. It's confusing now that everyone's, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was another thing where I was just like so shocked by like how into it everyone was. And granted, I was giving a lot of commentary trying to get people into it. Yeah. But I'm like thinking about what I said earlier about his movies not being accessible. But like every time I show somebody a Kubrick, they're like, "That was crazy." Yeah, like I said, he oper- it's operating on a different level. Like you have to like, I think even if if you're just coming in casually, and you don't like have necessarily all of the the context and all the you know film language, like mm-hmm. you kind of have to acknowledge this is not like not unlike what um, Bridget said about you know Tarantino. Yeah. It's like she just like had never seen someone like really making a movie that, you know, was that movied. That that movie that was <laughs> movied, yeah. Yeah. Um 
Yeah. I am kind of shocked, though, that 2001 was a success. <laughs> that's it, that's no, a tough it sell. It's such a tough sell. I sold it as the greatest sci-fi movie of all time, so I think that helped. Yeah. And then, so they were like, okay, well, I guess I have to see it. Um, and like, yeah, it went over so well. Nice. I was thrilled. It was so fun. I would probably also say it's the best sci-fi movie ever made. I can't, I mean, the only one that I also really, really, really like that I put up there personally is Wally. <laughs> <laughs> I think Wally is like perfect. I would say Alien and Blade Runner. Yes, the, yeah. The combo. Blade Runner was another one I mentioned to my friend. Um, we were talking about other like great sci-fi movies. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the best horror movie of all time? Best. I mean, my gut says Shining, but we've established this is a comedy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Right. Okay. Outside, outside of the Shining, That's um, a joke. <laughs> comedy month. Welcome. Comedy <laughs> month. <laughs> October is comedy month. <laughs> comedy month on the pod. <sighs> best horror. I love you can say the shining. Well, I want to say the shining, but I also want to give like, like other ones that are up there. I, the other one that comes to mind is the original Halloween. That's my answer. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I was just thinking about watching that yesterday. Uh, my brother's in town and we, I wasn't sure if he's going to come over. And if he did, I was like, we're going to watch Halloween. Yeah. And he ended up not coming over, but like, um, I love Halloween. Dude, let's watch Halloween. Let's absolutely watch Halloween. Yeah. That can be next year's special episode. Well, with Donnie Darko, we got to do at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Or we could just watch Halloween for fun. You can't just watch Halloween. Yeah. That's true. It doesn't have to be for a thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I I am a nut for Halloween for like for like <laughs> horror franchises. Um I've seen I've seen almost every major franchise through. Like Friday That's the thirteenth, awesome. Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Chucky, Alien. Alien um final destination i just revisited i saw you logging those um yeah. i watched th- three of those in one night because they're like <laughs> 80 minutes and it's like <laughs> i absolutely zero brain activity involved yeah um saw paranormal activity i love it i love the way that especially when they are franchised because it's just like they're always a simple premise they're trying to trigger like exactly one sort of emotional response usually and mm-hmm. when they can do better then it's like amazing you know like it's like you set the bar pretty low you have one goal and when you do it really well it's really exciting and then like just from like a postmodern standpoint like i you know watching the friday the 13th movies from beginning to end it you're just like i can't the the fourth movie is called the final chapter Mm -hmm. (laughs) they made another eight (laughs) movies there are that many oh yeah there are 12 friday the 13th movies i haven't seen any of them there are 12 or 13 halloweens yeah, there are like yeah. ten Friday uh, Nightmare on Elm Streets. There's like wow. eight Chuckies in a series. Right. Yeah. Um, there are now eleven Saw movies. Yeah. Um, which I just watched Spiral. I haven't. I haven't. I'm. I might go see Socks in Socks. in theaters. I haven't seen any Saw movies either. I just like. I don't know. It's not that I've avoided the franchises. I think I just like. I don't even know I haven't seen the franchises. I just haven't gotten into them. Watch Saw 1 and decide because... I really don't want to watch Saw. Yeah, they get pretty rough, dude. It's from another time. Like, Uh, (laughs) like not even like, oh, you know, like if you're watching a movie from the 60s or whatever and you're like, oh, they're saying some really uncool language. It's like Saw is from another time. It's like Uh, when we just totally were out... 
what we would call post 9-11 horror. Yeah. Um, that shit's wild. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I think it's worth seeing just the first movie. I'll, I'll just watch, gritting yeah. your teeth. You I'll do not need to watch one. that whole series. No, I have no interest in watching the whole series. But they are... I. <laughs> well, the new one takes place between one and two, right? Yeah. So I could watch the first one and then the new one and then be done, potentially. I heard the I'm new one's sure, like fine. I'm sure that, you know... It might be a lie. <laughs> I'm like, because those uh, movies operate on on uh, twisting your expectations. Why would any sort of media conglomerate ever lie to the public? Why? Why? What, what reason have they to lie? Well, I'll tell you. Can I spoil one Saw movie? <laughs> yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Folks, I'm going to spoil the movie Jigsaw, um, which after they did the fir- the original run of, I guess, eight Saw movies, mm-hmm. so it's like the ninth one, which came in 2017, I think. So it had been a break of like two, three or so years after Saw the final chapter. <laughs> um, what is the final chapter with these people? Um, it's a great way to promote a movie after yeah. you know all the final, farewell tours, and yeah, like that kind of bullshit. Final yeah. destination. The fourth movie is called The Final Destination, and then they made the fifth one, Final <laughs> Destination, the next year. God. Um, so in the movie Jigsaw, um, not The Shining, um. <laughs> we jigsaw it's like because these movies kind of operate operate on the idea of like the original killer dies in the third movie yeah and it's just like continuously coming up with ways in which people would still be doing saw stuff <laughs> you gotta cool. find a way to explain it yeah and at least two movies involve him just having set up a bunch of traps before he died oh that's less fun yeah um well in jigsaw it's like it's just happening again Mm-hmm. And you're like, and then you hear his voice, and you're like, "Well, what the fuck? This guy's super dead." And then at the end of the movie, turns out it was a prequel. I hate that. I actually was like, kind of like, "Okay, you got me," like, because like the whole time, because like the traps are all like made of wood and stuff. All of mm-hmm. a sudden, and you're like, "Oh," and it turns out he was just testing. Hmm. Um. So I think socks might not be a movie between the first. And- That's my guess as a as a saw. The description on Letterbox, the first sentence is I taking. Know. <laughs> I know what it says. Okay. All right. Fine. Um, fine. Anyway, that was a little recap for you. Um, Shining 3. Bring it on. <laughs> I'll see it. Doctor three. Sleep 2. Doctor Sleep 2. In space. 2 Doctor 2 Sleep. Uh, Shining 3. Colorado Drift. The sh- 3 nining. You have to add the numbers. Oh, yeah. Of it at some Eventually point. you do. Yeah. Yeah. Or the 5 hinning. 5 hinning. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get five of these out. Yeah, we got to keep got to keep cranking these out with Ian McGregor. What would you do if 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 someone said you have to write The Shining Three? What would you do? What was this? What's the story? Disappear to Cuba or something? I don't oh, want yeah. to do that. You're, it's not like there's a gun to your head. It's like there's like oh, a, okay. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> write The Shining Three. Uh, no, it's I, what would I do? Yeah, um, what like what's the, what would the story be? You absolutely had to do it. God. Yeah, actually, you know, I changed my mind. There's a gun to your head. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I need a second to think about that because I don't re- really remember much about Doctor Sleep or how it ends. Because I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, and I didn't really care about it enough to remember. <laughs> they destroy all the steam vampires. Okay, so and I wouldn't honestly pull them in anyway because I didn't care at all. About oh, I any loved of them. it. I, I did so not give dumb. a shit about those vampires. Uh, Doctor Sleep I, does end pretty definitively. <laughs> <laughs> right um i don't Scat know man would prequel. danny have kids like 
Nope. I, I'd be interested in like the generational trauma they're exploring if like Danny were to have a kid maybe. But that wouldn't make it sense. It would be with... a classic horror movie thing where you're like, he had a kid off screen. Yeah, yeah. it would have to be that. Which is whatever. Like when he was an al- when he was like an alcoholic at the beginning yeah, of the movie. Just like fucking around had a kid at some point. Yeah. Um Maybe it could be the kid trying to find Danny like via the shine. Like starts the kid grows up uh-huh and then goes through the grady the gradation the gradation if you will what do you what gradation meaning like becomes the caretaker of it's danny's <laughs> kid it's jack's grandson. Oh, just like a different hotel yeah jack's <laughs> grandson becomes a hotel caretaker of a different hotel and somehow also becomes gradied i like grady as a verb <laughs> um sure all right so book it <laughs> all right warner brothers if you're if you two brothers are listening wbd yeah if you're if you're listening uh that's our pitch for the shining the sh- three aining um three hining shining three colorado drift <laughs> shining three the revenge i've already decided if i do a third wiener tape it's gonna be the wiener tape chicago drift and i yeah. really i need to do it now because i'm really committed to this bit so of just naming bit. them after the fast movies is this two wiener two tape did i just announce two wiener two <laughs> tape? <laughs> <laughs> yep whatever if you I, listen this deep into if this you listen, podcast if you're this far in and still listening there's your little announcement from me i guess Two Wiener Two Tape is the thing I'm working Coming on. Coming soon. Coming next year. I've reached out to like a bunch of bands and I need stems. Um, so if you're one of those bands, respond. Yeah, if you're one of those bands, talk to your producers to send you the stems. Um, oh, I made it to the bar scene. We didn't get... Okay, the one thing we didn't get to, because I feel like we're wrapping up. Yeah. We didn't get to skeleton watch the skeleton scene. Actually, okay, you're right. I changed my mind. Best scene, <laughs> skeleton <laughs> scene. My, I talked about for anyone who didn't listen to the Evil Dead episode. There's a scene in The Shining I don't like, and it's the scene when the the hotel is like shining at Wendy, and she uh, walks into like the lobby, and there are just skeletons everywhere, and it just looks really cheap to me. Like all the other like quote unquote scares are like so weird and specific, and then it's just like generic haunted house skeleton. It's informational. Okay. Is it? Yeah, because it's telling you that, that people died there. Yeah, people died there. All these people at this party died clearly, and Jack <laughs> is seeing them alive because he's he's being gradied. He's being gradied. Uh, we did, we didn't make it to the actual watching of the skeletons. That we can skip was... to it. No, that seems, that seems <laughs> dishonest. I'm good. On we, could, we could also just say we made it. I do want to edit s- it. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Here we are watching skeletons. Oh wow! Look at those skeletons. Got plenty of jackets. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think it's a great film, and I get something new out of it every time I watch it. Like, yeah. legitimately, like there, it genuinely sometimes seems like, oh, I didn't remember this scene being in this movie. Yeah. Um, or lines like the you have to clean up America or whatever. Like <laughs> keep America clean. This it's 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 the it's Buckwild. Yeah, I don't think I'm at a point where like. I don't think it's that dramatic for me. Like at this point, I pretty much know beat for beat what's going to happen and like yeah. lines and stuff. But it's like these small details that I'm just like, why was that there? And just like never saw before. Yeah. Um, and now they say I can't think of any specific examples, but I don't feel like going through all my notes. But 
yeah, I just, I don't know. It's just so rewarding, like rewatching this movie. And yeah. I watch it probably twice a year at this point. Like I'll have like my annual Halloween watching. Then inevitably somebody will tell me they haven't seen it. And I'm like, all right, we're going to watch it at some other point during the year. Um, just every time it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's just become, and I hate this phrase, but like it's become a comfort movie for me in so many ways that no. just like, I, I just, I know what it's going to do to me. And it's such a familiar, fun feeling. Yeah. And I love that. Well, I think, you know, it is not unlike how I feel about like, um, like we were talking about, about, about this earlier a little bit. It was like, yeah, it's a comfort movie, even though it's clearly intended to be uncomfortable. Yeah, it's one of the most anxiety-inducing um, movies I've ever seen. But I feel the same way about like Mulholland Drive. It's oh, like a, good one. a little fucked up movie that yeah. I feel like is just a really cozy thing to watch. And I don't yeah. think that means that I'm fucked up. I just think it means like I just really enjoy the way that it is. Yeah, which is yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's The Shining is the number one movie like that for me. It's like Shining... And then the gap, and then Paddington two, and then a bunch of other bullshit. And then the ascent. The ascent. Oh my god, I love the ascent. I need to watch that again. <laughs> uh, one time, Dan and I were gonna hang out, and I was like, "We should watch the ascent," which, if you don't know, is like I don't know what year it came out, but it's a black and white Russian film about World War Two, and it's one of the most depressing things I've ever seen. It's just a bunch, so a bunch of guys climbing up a mountain and dying, right? No, they get captured by Germans. Oh. Um. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so good. But like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just a little fucked up and nuts, you know? <laughs> just a sick little freak. Just a sick little freak. <laughs> All right, well, it's been fun. It's been fun. Thanks for joining us for The Shining. Anything we want to plug? We don't have a guest. No. No. Uh, you, if you're listening, you literally know <laughs> what's going on, <laughs> I think. Like, it's fair. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what's up. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right, well, this is me signing off. Thanks for listening to me. Let's talk about this shining for however long this has been. feels like three hours, but in a good way, so I'm not... I feel good. I feel great. I love this movie. Same. Okay. Goodbye. Bye.